This is episode 26 of Dear Analyst, and in this episode I'm going to be talking about a blog post by Kevin Simler named Going Critical, uh, and it's really relevant given all the um, news around the coronavirus and how it's spreading, and this this blog post is not so much about um, Excel, but more, I guess, around data visualization. And I think it's definitely worth just opening up the blog post and reading through it and playing around with all the different visualizations for how a disease, how an idea, how um, a startup can spread. And I think it's really interesting just to see the different animations and playing with the different toggles that Kevin has set up in this blog post. And I'm just going to quickly walk through some of the different models that uh, Kevin has laid out in these different uh, transmission visualizations. Um, the most common one is the SIR model, which is uh, showing different, imagine you have a grid of like 15 by 15 squares, and each square within that grid can either be colored as success susceptible, infected, or removed. And what happens is as a square becomes infected, um, depending on the transmission rate, their surrounding squares to that square can also be infected or just remove once they've gotten the infection. And so you can kind of see how a disease can spread based on just a node being a square that has four different sides and the percentage of the transmission rate uh, just basically indicates how many of those uh, adjacent squares can also get infected. So there's the basic um, susceptible infected and removed rate, removed model. Um, but then I think the one that really stood out to me was the model that looks at the growing, that looks at when the network goes critical. So if you just search in the blog post for going critical, you're going to see that the you did, just like you can with the previous graphs, you can play with the transmission rate. Um, <clears throat> but then in the discussion, it says that basically once the transmission rate goes above 22 or 23%, that's when the disease will basically take over the entire network. And anything below 22% interestingly shows the disease um, just kind of petering out. And I think that's really kind of important and given the, what is it, the R0 of the coronavirus. I'm not quite sure on how the R0 plays in conjunction with the transmission rate, <coughs> excuse me, as discussed in this blog post. Um, but it's interesting to see once the transmission rate goes from 22 to 23 and above percent, the transmission of the disease basically the infectious squares can quickly overcome the entire network as all the nodes become um, infected. And of course, as you increase transmission rate even higher, the speed in which the entire network gets infected is really, really fast. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people have been talking about this week in the news about how uh, people can actually contract can get infected through community uh, through community infections. And 
I think this is similar to the um, SISA model that Kevin points out. The sp basically, the A stands for the spontaneous activation. <coughs> basically, when someone randomly is able to get infected in the model. Um, so when you have a, basically, instead of having to be adjacent to an infected square, um, another square somewhere unrelated to the infected squares can get basically randomly infected, and that's the spontaneous um, activation rate. And once you see this in the chart, you notice that little pockets of infected squares will show up. And then what's really dangerous is that um, they don't have to be anywhere near the original cluster of infected squares. Um, again, the, these, um, these visualizations are pretty hard to describe over audio, but um, if you just take a quick look through the blog post, you'll see all the different visualizations that I'm talking about. Further down in the post, uh, there is this notion of, let's see, here we go, uh, degrees. So I think this is a little more closer to what the R0 is in terms of the coronavirus. Um, but if you look at the degree, um, traditionally, if you look at a grid of squares, a given square will have four different adjacent squares that it can potentially get that it could potentially infect. Now, what if that number of the number of adjacent squares increased to eight? So you now, now you're not only taking into account the the lines of the square, but also the vertices of the square. So you have eight different points that a infected square could potentially spread or transmit the disease. Um, so when you take a look at this visualization, the transmission rate. Um, can be a lot lower, putting it down to let's say 15% and then making the degree to eight. And you'll see that the disease will spread just as quickly because I think that's as, this is similar to the R0 where you just have a square is able to infect twice as many people um, through transmission. Um, the, final, the final visualization that I think it's really relevant to the virus is looking at cities and network density. Um, I think in this, let's see here, I'm just trying to maybe try to understand exactly how he models this in the visualization. Oh yeah, so like basically, if you have two cities in um, a grid, the city center the degree will be higher, which means that the number of potential squares that it can infect is, let's say, eight. Whereas if you're out in the countryside in the rural areas, the amount you can spread is um, a lot lower. And I think what's really interesting about this visualization is that once you, once the disease, let's say the disease starts in the rural area, and once it starts spreading slowly to the cities, once it gets inside the any of the rungs of the city center, it quickly will overtake the entire um, city. And it shows the city just spread so much faster relative to the rural areas. It just makes sense from this number of people that you are in touch with on a daily basis. 
he also talks about exploring the effects of network density, which I'm not going to get into here. Um, but yeah, I think those were the main visualizations I thought were really interesting to think about and consider as you think about how the virus can spread to different nodes. And if you are in a city, then the chances of you basically spreading the note, spreading the disease yourself or of you contracting the disease is just really high given the number of touch points you have with other people, which is, which makes a lot of sense. Um, there's some other visualizations about experts in the network, um, how ideas basically can spread from, instead of looking at it from a city standpoint, you have experts that have an idea or a disease, let's call it that, and it can slowly spread to someone else. And then that that new expert will start spreading a different version of the idea. And I th the whole point of this visualization, visualization is to show that um, the someone that let's say there are four experts in the field of like, you know, creating light bulbs. And the first person had this great idea to create a light bulb, but just didn't have the right um, resources or the right timing. But eventually that idea for creating a light bulb spreads to another expert, like 10 miles, 100 miles away. And then that person will pick up the idea and just take it and then, then take a variation of it and eventually uh, maybe build the actual light bulb. And somewhere down the line, maybe like the fourth or fifth expert down the line who captures the idea in their minds could be the Thomas Edison who actually creates the light bulb. Now, I don't really think this is that relevant given the coronavirus, but um, just another interesting way of thinking about how ideas can spread just like diseases. Uh, so same using the same concepts of transmission rates, immunity, the number of degrees of people that you're in touch with. Um, I think the point of showing these experts is that when you have when you're in a very tight knit academic society or professional society, those are how ideas can spread the most and variations of the idea can lead to the actual breakthrough in science and academia that people are looking for. Um, so just another interesting way of looking at how ideas spread. So that's it. That's kind of a short um, episode today just because I wanted to talk about something uh, looking at the analytics and looking at some of the visualizations behind infectious diseases and uh, don't really have any um, formulas you can look at to model this yourself. Um, but luckily, Kevin Simler has done this great work for us on this blog post. And I highly recommend, again, checking this out and reading for yourself. And hopefully it'll give you some insight and some knowledge about how diseases can spread. So the other two episodes I wanted to discuss were um, one of my favorite, The Acquired Podcast, with, and th this episode was with the famous Eric Ries, the author of The Lean Startup. And around minute 10, um, Eric is talking about his experience building a web business back before, I think back in the late 90s or early 2000s. And he didn't even know what he was, him, him, him and his, uh, I guess, business partners 
we're building for the sake of building. And I love this quote during this um, episode where um, they didn't have a specific, they just saw other people building digital products and they themselves weren't thinking about, oh, we want to build this next um you know, social network to be a Facebook, or we want to build a website that does X, Y, and Z. They just wanted to build for the sake of building. And I think, you know, when you hear people wax poetic about what the internet used to be, where it was like a very innocent place to build websites and build web applications, um, I think they were kind of referring to this notion that um, people were just building stuff, not for the sake of like, showing off or getting likes or getting traffic it was really just to like showcase some idea and it was meant purely as a way to just build because you had the ability to build with html and css or whatever um sure there might have been like some popularity associated with getting the traffic to the site but um i think the interesting point that um eric brings up is that they just saw other people were building and so figured why don't we just try to build something and if it if it does great great if not then you know they at least they felt like they were part of the movement um i think in i think as eric was reflecting on the experience like he was talking about how they could have had the chance to <coughs> excuse me they could have had the chance to pivot to do something closer to a social network like Facebook, but they were so focused on matching, I think it was matching students to employers, um, kind of like a pre-LinkedIn that they didn't see the notion that they could actually pivot and change a different idea. Um, it was purely just to like experiment with the medium of building a website. And I think perhaps this is, um, has reincarnated itself today as the open source movement where people are just building tools to help other people uh, build the foundation of whatever tool or application they want to build. Um, but it, it is hard to find people who are just like, I want to start a website just because I see other people building websites. Um, typically it's because I want to build a website because I want to have like a front facing image for my business or it's um it's a way to for me to generate leads for something else and it's never really just as a place to be my online playground if you will uh, i know this is kind of getting a little bit heady uh, and getting a little bit kind of into the what was he talking about um but i do kind of commiserate with um eric in terms of like this was a time when the internet wasn't polluted yet by all the different advertisers and Silicon Valley venture capitalists. It was purely a very innocent place to host your ideas and just go along for the ride that others were also going along with as well. Okay, uh, so that is that episode. And the next episode, uh, getting, I know, finally into a little bit of Excel. I know this is taking a long, windy turn from modeling infectious diseases and ideas to creating websites on the internet. 
uh, a recent podcast I started listening to is the Financial Modeling Podcast with Matthew Bernath. And as you can imagine, a lot more Excel in this podcast. I highly recommend you guys checking out the Financial Modeling Podcast. Uh, definitely a lot more rigor and more thought and research goes into their podcast versus Dear Analyst here, where I'm just kind of riffing off of ideas that I think are interesting. The Financial Modeling Podcast definitely goes into you know how to use Excel and different ways to use Excel, specifically in the realm of financial modeling. Uh, I don't get into this much detail just because I don't do that much financial modeling anymore. Uh, but I did want to talk about something they mentioned, which I had no idea existed, which is around minute 53. Um, I forgot. Actually, let me see who's in the show. They mentioned Lance Rubin, Column Human, Ozdu Soleil, Brandon Ali. I forgot which one of these guests mentioned it, but they basically were asking the rest of the podcast hosts, why does the XLSX extension file extension exist in Excel? Now we all know that when you create an Excel file, typically it's a .xls file. And the reason why that Microsoft actually created the XLSX file is actually um, uh, due to the government. Interestingly, and this goes to show how prominent and prevalent that Excel is in our world is that the government says that we're, the government at the time was telling Microsoft, we have so many business critical, government critical systems that are running off of Excel. But the problem is that all these files, all these XLS files require you to have the Excel program loaded on your machine to open up the file. Uh, the worst case scenario is that they didn't want perhaps one of these files to get lost or there's um, espionage and maybe like the Chinese or the Russians get a hold of the file. Um, so they just needed a quicker way of seeing what's inside a file without having to open up the actual Excel file. And I can see this being really useful because if you want to quickly automate and audit like a million Excel files, for instance, you don't want to have to open up Excel then find the data in the in the model, and then go on with the analysis. You want a quick way to be able to scan the contents of the Excel file without opening up Excel itself. And so, what the Excel what the XLSX file format is is a compressed version of the Excel file in XML format. Uh, which is a format that you might see for websites, uh, but it's a compressed format. And the key thing is that you can use some kind of reader or some kind of engine to read the XML data from the XLSX file without opening up Excel. So this means that uh, someone could automate the investigation, the scraping and the auditing of millions of Excel files without having to open up the actual Microsoft Excel program because they can just access the underlying XML code of the file via this Excel SX format. Now, when I first came across this file format, when I was a financial modeler, I just thought this was like a new format that Excel, or sorry, Microsoft came up with to compress Excel files. Because if you ever played with um, an XLS file and resaved it as an XLSX file, you probably notice that it's a lot smaller. And that's part of the compression of taking a file and converting it to like an XML file. And 
little did I know that the main reason for this was not actually a size, uh, wasn't a feature to reduce the size of the file, but rather for the government to be able to just quickly look at the files and uh, delete files if they think that they were they contained too much sensitive information and they needed to quickly get rid of it unless it got into the wrong hands. Uh, so super interesting history on the XLSX file. Uh, some fun, fun fact, fun Excel trivia there. And I think the next time you create an Excel file and it's going to be in an XLSX file, SL, XLSX format, just remember that this was because the government wanted this to happen. And uh, you're, a, a nice byproduct of it was that you have a smaller Excel file in an Excel XML format. That wraps up, wraps up this episode. Uh, I know we didn't really talk too much about um, Excel formulas and data analysis, but um, I will be hopefully, hopefully getting to another Excel problem next week. Uh, so stay tuned for the next episode of Zero Analyst. Mm-hmm.